Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. And T. Frank, today we are going to finish up our positional reviews on the offensive side of the ball. But before we jump into that, I just want to get your quick take. We had a commitment this week for the class of 25, and that is Jalen Matthews, 6'6", about 300 pounds from Tom's Rivers in New Jersey. What do we know about him? Um, He is a 2025 offensive lineman. So we don't know a lot because that story is still being written. And I think that's the important place to start here is that, especially on the offensive line, we talk about in, in college, when you get to college, like it takes a while for you to get ready to be on the football field. It's all about size in high school. And I don't think that's any particular surprise, but when it comes to what I do, you know, the technical side, um, actual play at the position, he's still learning. So what he's good and good and isn't good at yet is still a, a bit of a mystery. We don't know. But the reason he is a high four star for on three and he is one of the top 50 players in the nation is that uh, he is a high floor player because he is, as you just pointed out, six, a uh, little under six, six. And he actually lost weight to get down to 275. And if people say, oh, no, why is he losing weight? He's an offensive lineman. You don't want to be 300 pounds as a sophomore because there's no way that's possible that that is the right type of weight. So uh, he has reshaped his body. So he clearly takes this seriously. He's put in the work and um, he's a good athlete. I I think that there's some stuff to learn there in terms of uh, sometimes when I watch him, his feet look a little heavy. So I don't know that he is a hyper athletic football player, but he has the length to be a tackle. He has the size. He has the natural strength um, that he's worked on. And uh, he's got all of the tools you want to be a starting tackle in college football from a physical standpoint. That's all obvious and apparent. So what he develops into after this is a bit of a mystery, but it is not so much a mystery that you don't know. Oh, is he ever going to be able to get up to the size necessary? He's obviously going to be a very good uh, college prospect from a physical standpoint. And uh, the the rest of the stuff that he's going to be good and not good at and need to get better at, we're going to find out as we go along. But here's the thing that I learned over the last couple of years is that um, when you commit to a program, and even if you don't commit, but if you know you want to go to a place, like say you're Anthony Donko or you're Alex Birchmeyer, if you go to these prospect camps, you get individual coaching from Phil Troutwine. So he's committing early in the process. And if he goes to these camps in the offseason, he's going to get advanced level coaching from his future position coach. So I never realized that until recently. So these these offensive linemen that are that are committing early, not only is this, you know, kind of in the same category of Alex Birchmeyer, um, athletic, you know, high, obvious talent at the position. He's also has the opportunity to get better from a from a technical standpoint by working with Phil Troutwine and Phil Troutwine's done a masterful job identifying talent early that that are very good and then getting them to commit and keeping them a part of the class. So this is a home run for Penn State. This is a true tackle that's going to be uh, with the Nittany Lions in 2025. 
and if he's a sophomore, which translates to maybe 16 years old and already 275, that's still a big young man. All right, yes. let's get to our positional reviews. Let's start with quarterback. Uh, it's now Drew Aller's position, right? I see. I'm not. It's, I'm not willing to say that to just casually say, yeah. I mean, the obvious lean is that way, but. We've seen this before where it's not Tommy Stevens that wins the job. Now, it's not Tommy Stevens was not a five star quarterback who won the backup job and then um, was the heir apparent in waiting like he was a true quarterback competition. I am I'm one of those suckers that believes people, you know, when they say words. So if there's going to be an open quarterback competition, that's what I expect. That's that's how they operate. There's an open spot. So there's a competition. They will consider Bo Perbula for the position. Will he win that? Most likely not. So, like, I know that it's we're saying the same thing, but, like, the phrasing of it, and it's important to me. And I know that that's obnoxious, and it's not really helping anybody in this situation. Uh, and it's not great radio. I apologize for not having a hot take here. But, yeah, I he is likely the uh, the starter heading into 2023. But I just want to give Bo Perbula the credit he deserves, which is don't count him out. He will be a part of the comp. He will be a part of the conversation this year. You won't say it, I will. Drew Aller, officially your starting quarterback for the 2023 season. And what are we, do we expect too much from him though? Yes, <laughs> I, I can already just blank it. Yes, like there you go. Yes, absolutely. We expect too much from him because the conversation has been Big Ten title, national championship. He's the he's the next first round draft pick quarterback. He's going to be the best quarterback the Penn State's ever had, uh, especially under James Franklin. Like we already expect too much out of a sophomore. He can get there eventually, but you know, out of the box sort of thing. I, you know, I believe that that is. That is accurate to say that we expect too much out of him. But at the same time, he is capable of it. You know, like he has the ability, he has the skills to do all of these things. Let's go to that clear number two. And I am declaring Bo Prabola the clear number two, T. Frank. All right. Okay. And that means he's he's one twisted ankle, one play away from being the guy on the field. How ready is he to play? It's a great question. I think initially he's more ready to play than Drew Aller. Um, there are some things about Bo Prabula that make that so. Uh, his his mobility is the number one thing. So not that it's... It, when I was looking at this position, it's more about, to me, what does the offense look like with these guys? What parts of the playbook do accentuate if they are in the game? And there are some college even though they're used heavily in the NFL and a team that runs in a read option system, almost a pure college read option system is in the Super Bowl with the Eagles. So calling this a college system is a bit of a joke at this point, but it started in college and the read option is not the cheat code it used to be, but it is a way to manufacture yardage for your offense without putting the ball in harm's way by throwing it or doing anything uh, that coaches don't like. Uh, with, with a young quarterback. So read option RPO, his uh, quick decision-making has always been really impressive to me. His ability to throw on the run um, and escape the pocket and throw on the run. Uh, generally, his decision-making, I, I think, has been, it's just really good from the high school level and what I remember of him as a, as a prospect um, and what I saw of him in the blue-white game. The early returns are better 
with uh with a Bo Perbula. But with Drew Aller, it's kind of like a fine wine, right? Like you're gonna get something better, but it takes a little bit more time to mature in that oak barrel. So with Perbula, you can have a guy that is that is ready to go and has uh puts up a good fight in this quarterback competition because he's gonna give you the right answer most of the time. It's just kind of my opinion of this particular situation. And I would think this is the perfect model for the backup quarterback, T. Frank. The fact that he is mobile enough to be a threat with his legs. And if you need to go to him, there's it's kind of a safe choice. Maybe not a high ceiling, but a pretty high floor. Uh, yes. Uh, the, the question is always with a sophomore, is it a high floor? But maybe I'm, I'm not giving uh, these guys enough credit there have been guys that have come in as redshirt freshmen and and been successful. And, and uh, they've been in the same system for two years. They were both early enrollee quarterbacks. So I do expect both of them to be able to function in the offense and be able to run it. They're both smart guys. Um, So it's just going to be about uh, which, you know, what, what, what do defenses show them that they've never seen before? And it isn't, is it in a high leverage situation next fall where they have to execute or the offense stalls out? So there's still a learning curve for both of them. So I don't want to say that any one particular player has a high floor. But yeah, in that context of, you know, some of the the skills we just talked about, I do think that that is probably a higher floor than Drew Aller. And I don't want to take away his ability to move because I think even Penn State fans have seen him be able to move and and escape the pocket and run a little bit. Um, I think he can get bigger. I think he can get faster as well think he can improve some of that stuff, but he's not going to be that true dual threat type of guy. Gotcha. All right. We watched uh, NFL conference championship games this weekend, T. Frank, and the mm-hmm. 49ers were on their fourth string quarterback, and even he got knocked out, okay? So yeah. when you start with Drew Howler, Bo Prabula, there is a world where you can get to a third quarterback and for Penn state, and I'm not looking to jinx anything, but that is Jackson Smolik from Iowa, who definitely was not the first choice by Penn state coming into this year's recruiting. What could you tell us about Smolik? He is a combination of both of those guys, actually. So like I I put, I put their their skills kind of in different buckets in terms of what they bring to the table. And there's overlap in all of these things. So next year, the 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 trick is going to be design an offense around Drew Aller. If he's the starter that anyone can operate if they have to come into the game Um, and you will lean on different parts of the playbook for different guys. But with Jackson Small, he's a good athlete. I don't think he's the same runner as Bo Perbula, but he is a pocket first quarterback that has great understanding of the offense. All of these guys really came from offenses that were built around them. You don't always get that even in high school with, with these top ranked quarterbacks that have um, the mental skills to operate a, an offense at a high level on, on their, you know, on their terms in, in the high school ranks, Drew Aller, Jackson Smollick, Bo Perbula, all of them operated something that was tailored to them that had uh, next level concepts, you know, college level concepts. I think, Perbula's was a little bit more uh, formulaic, but he he operated at a very high level and we saw him do some things, you know, that everyone really, really likes. So they all have similar skills. And Jackson Smolik 
I, you know, like you said, you don't want them to have to step on the football field, but they are getting a similar guy in terms of processing, quick decision making. Um, he's probably a little bit more risky with the football at times than than uh, some of the other guys that are on the roster. But at the same time, he's got a little bit of that it factor decision making under pressure that you like to see from your quarterback. This, the arm strength is obviously part of the question, but I think he's got a good enough arm like Bo Perbula. And, uh, you know, I think they've got a good mix of quarterbacks that can operate and keep you running. Um, and then just, again, the question becomes about the quarterback position. Is Drew Aller the transcendent talent that gets your offense to go to a new level that you haven't seen before? That's the question we're all waiting on, T. Frank. We'll start getting the answers come fall against West Virginia in that opener. All right, T. Frank, that's it for Talking Quarterbacks. Segment number two, we're going to talk about running backs. Stay tuned for that. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He's T. Frank Carr. I'm Jim Galante. We're doing our positional reviews. We're on the offensive side of the ball. Just a reminder, our show is brought to you by 409tailgateclub.com. This is where you find all the great barbecue sauces and rubs, the, the Bloody Mary mix. And of course, speaking of the rubs, they've got the new coffee barbecue rubs. Fantastic. I've tried them all. You will enjoy them all. That's 409tailgateclub.com. All their stuff is fantastic. Trust me, I've tried them all. All right, T. Frank, we did quarterbacks in quarter number one. Now it's time to talk running backs. Just like I pronounced Drew Aller the starter at quarterback, I'm going to go out on a crazy limb here and say Nick Singleton and Catron Allen will be the guys at running back. You notice we're doing these two together, and that's how that's how I wrote the article. Is like there's there is so much ground to cover here that like uh let's just get it all over at once yeah uh, I, I will be definitive with this one and say that those two are your starting running backs they are 1a 1b 1 and 2a however you want to however you want to do it they are complementary co-starters that both bring something valuable to the table that the other does not the goal this offseason is to make it so each takes the strengths of the other and incorporates into their game so that whenever whoever is on the field 
uh, you don't know what you're getting because they can do everything. And these guys are talented enough to get as close to that as is reasonably possible with one year of work in the offseason. So that's to me, that's the only change is do they have defined roles or are they interchangeable parts that can produce the same results no matter who's on the field? Well, let's talk about that, T. Frank. I'm going to ask you to explain to us the difference between the two. And this past season, it felt like they were used the same way. By that, I mean, okay, Katron, this one is your series. Mm -hmm. Nick Singleton, this one is your series. There was never situational substitution or not typically. So explain to me the difference between the two running backs and if we'll ever see situational substitution between the two. So there there wasn't, um, but at the same time, they each have different skills. So you do different things with them when they're on the football field. And I'll start with the obvious area, and that is the passing game. Uh, Nick Singleton, it's hard to watch him try to catch the football. I've watched him work on it all season, and he's trying to catch the football naturally, but he is a guy that has no experience with it. So this offseason, catching the football is something he's got to learn how to do. Uh, And I I promise you that's something he's working on. When it comes to Catron Allen, um, initially good pass blocker, but as he lost weight and transformed his body, he became a little bit hit or, literally hit or miss when it comes to his pass blocking. And he, he struggled at times to pick up and hold his uh, responsibility in, in pass blocking situations. And Nick Singleton was pretty good at that. Pretty physical, you know, some mental mistakes, but for the most part was in position and could block his guy. So uh, for Catron Allen, you know, just in these areas, Nick Singleton better as a receiver and Catron Allen better as a blocker. Um, that's where the, the, the delineation is clear where it's a little less well, wait, wait, clear. I, th- I, I think you swap, I think you swap the names. Catron Allen yeah. is the better receiver. Singleton, yes, the better thanks. blocker, right? Okay. Yes. And they need to work on those things. I was, I was flipped. You're right. I, I flipped that in my head of those are the things they need to work on, uh, this off season. When it comes to what they do within running plays, you can, there was not a differentiation, but certain guys had better talents in certain systems. So despite what happened early in the in the season where Penn State was trying to get Nick Singleton out in space on pull plays and trying to get him on the edge of the defense, um, and then the the Auburn game where he had that counter play, which went for a touchdown, he was a little bit better in man and zone blocking systems, like basic man without a puller. Catron Allen was just generally better in pulling situations, reading and patience, allowing his blocks to set up. So that's kind of where I start when it comes to what they need to work on uh, vision and, and anticipation of how the linebackers are going to react to pulling plays and, and, and the cutback ability, you know, the soft skills. And I, I've used this term a little too much lately, but the soft skills of playing running back that you don't see necessarily until you see them. And then you attribute that to athleticism, but it's really the vision to be able to see what's happening and then anticipate set up blocks, things like that. Catron Allen, that's a strength of his. It's always been a strength of his. And so he became in my mind, at least kind of this quasi, this is our pull guy. This is our counter power, uh, sweep runner. And then, a little more downhill, a little more straightforward. Nick Singleton was running in zone systems, inside, outside zone, especially outside zone by the end of the season because you want to get that speed going downhill, make one cut and go. It's a little bit cleaner 
a little less patience, a little more patience on the go, if that makes sense. And then using him in some design situations. They had a couple of plays that were specifically designed for him that they used throughout the season that worked very well. One of them was they had this, this, um, they had basically a, a, um, a fake play design where it looked like they were blocking zone. They were blocking everybody one way, washing the offensive line down, but they were changing his angle point so that the uh, point of attack was the outside on the backside of the. So basically what they're doing is they're just trying to cheat and get him to the edge so he can run straight for a touchdown. And it helped like in the Minnesota game, he got a 30 yard touchdown to blow the game open. Making guys interchangeable in those situations is within the running systems, I think is going to be the biggest thing for especially Singleton, because that's kind of where his game needs to develop the most. And then for Catron Allen, the physicality to be explosive, to take a uh, 10 yard run and make it a 40 yard run, which he was able to do through breaking tackles, but just that that burst, that ability to hit high gear when you need to and run away from people. He can get faster. He can get a little more physical through contact when he's a little bit bigger. Now that he builds his body back up, gets around 210, I think he'll be great. Was it just my imagination or did it? Did Nick Singleton appear to be better at the end of the year at that short yardage situation where it's third and two and instead of waiting and trying to hit a home run, he realized I need to get three yards and get a first down. Yes and no. I think the blocking got better as well. So a lot of that is also go to the, is it the Maryland or the Rutgers game? I'm sorry. It's all in a blender in my head where they had so much success on, on third and fourth down from the, from the full house backfield from that T formation, the blocking was great. So he was getting that. And then he was able to get, you know, even more than that. Catron Allen, I do, you know, I think was very good in those situations, but yes, I, I don't want to take anything away from, from Singleton. He did get better throughout the season in, in dramatic ways in certain games where I know the Maryland game specifically, he, he played with great vision, patience, uh, pad level. He got his. So one thing that James Franklin talked about all season long, but it was with fumbles was Nick's pad level. You got to protect the football. You got to get your pads lower because guys shouldn't be getting as many shots on the football. Another thing with pad level is if they're not getting shots on the football, they're not getting shots on your midsection. You can bounce off those hits. And he was doing that more in in later games. So in short yardage situations, he was able to drive for the first down because he was using all that leg muscle. You know, I, I joked with you and I've said this on the show and people thought I was crazy. Like he needs to be 227 pounds if he's going to run upright like that. The minute he lowered his pads, it changes it changes everything. Like he's 220. He is strong enough, but the way he runs dictates a lot of that stuff. And if he's going to be, you know, an upright sort of a Derek Dickerson sort of runner, you got to be bigger then. And uh, I, I think he's he's well on his way to being better as a all around football player and not a guy that breaks into the open field and runs away from everybody like he did in high school. Not same thing as a quarterback. I'm not looking to jinx anything, but you've got only two returning running backs. Injuries do happen. Number three and four on the depth chart right now are the true freshmen, London Montgomery and Cameron Wallace. The one big feature, London Montgomery, he's coming off surgery, missed his senior year of high school. Yep. What's Penn State getting with the two freshmen? Yeah, he's coming off a torn ACL, which happened, I think, the first game of the season. Um, that'll I be interesting so. to see because yeah, nine months puts them, you know, depending on when he had a surgery, and nine months is typically the 
the comeback period, right? Um, I tip, I like to go a full year because you can technically come back from something like that if you're in the NFL, right? So you're a, you're a robot athlete who is in elite physical conditioning. You have a team of nutritionists and people around you. And if you're committed to th- those sort of things, you can make that happen. For most other people, a year is a better, I think, time line for for when you can come back, which puts them again at the start of the season. And we saw Zariah Fisher come back from a knee injury, and and that was really impressive. I think it was a knee injury. I shouldn't say definitively. I believe it was a knee injury, but I'd have I that was never you know how this goes. That was never actually reported. <laughs> so to the to the point is like you can't count on him, and you make a you make a good point there. But with with Wallace, he's a smaller back. But he is a really good football player. Just generally watching his film, he played safety, he played linebacker, he played running back. He did all of those plays, all those positions in high school, and he knew the technique for each of them. Like he knew how to play them, not just an athlete at those positions. So explosive runner, super fast, a little bit undersized, but plays with good power for his size. So I think he's a multidimensional threat that they could put in the offense, and he could even have a role if he earns it as kind of a slash player, right? Or as a as a speed player option who's maybe a Devin Ford sort of role before he decided he was done with football. So they need a fourth running back, absolutely. But they didn't have four running backs this past year, and they got through the season pretty well. So that's the question, right? Is uh, can they get somebody in the transfer portal? I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but if I were to enti- try to entice a running back, it would be with that. Like, you're not the third running back. You have this particular role, and this is what we have in mind for that player. And you can be a feature in the offense, even if it isn't the lead back. But if you're if you're going into the transfer portal, it's because you weren't getting enough playing time. So why would you go to a place where you're guaranteed to not get enough playing time? I've been saying all along, yes, if they go to the portal, it's can you find a role for that third back, whether it be is he the super size back, 250 pounds, and you use him on short yardage situations to spare the other two guys, or is it a speed back, slash back, guy out in the backfield uh, type of guy? Let's put it this way. If either of the top two guys get hurt or, you know, heaven forbid, both of them, the season's not going to go the way you want it to if you have a third back from the portal. Like, those two and the quarterback, whoever it is, need to stay healthy for Penn State to have the season they want to have next year. So a transfer portal running back probably isn't going to do huge numbers if he comes in and has to replace those guys anyway. Very good, T. Frank. That's it for quarter number two. Stick around. Quarter number three, we take your questions and we ask T. Frank. Stay tuned for that. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. 
You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. And this segment is Ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions and we give them to T. Frank. And at the end of the segment, he'll pick out the best question and that person will be the winner. You know you know what, T. Frank, how about for a change up this week, we go with the KSN shirt. And All I right. think I got, both, I got both the polo shirts and I got the sweatshirts here. So we'll, we'll let the winner decide which that they want. How's that? I think that um, sounds great. All right, let's hit the questions. Let's start with uh, Brian in Uniontown, who says, can you compare Javen Williams and Alex Birchmeyer for me? I'm really excited by both and the emphasis that appears to be happening with the offensive line. Which of the two has the better chance to see meaningful snaps this season? Uh, So those are two different questions, um, but I think that the answer to the second one is Alex Birchmeyer because he is so technically advanced as a football player. Um, I thought watching uh, some of the guys they brought in earlier that they were on the right path with offensive linemen, bringing in guys that were advanced. Uh, But, but Alex Birchmeyer is another level of he is, he's got great body control. He's got great athleticism. He understands, uh, you know, the fundamentals of the position very well. And the reason he wasn't bigger is because he was a wrestler and he had to stay at 285. So uh, the other thing that has happened since then is he's a little bit bigger than everyone gave him credit for because Penn State saw him as an interior lineman. He was ranked as an interior lineman um, that the we assumed the length was one thing. And it turns out, you know, I expect him to start at tackle. You know, I think this is when you've got guys that are so talented and both these guys are in the top 10 of offensive linemen, according to on three um, Birch Meyer has the skills that he could hang at tackle. And if they need him to Javen Williams is another level of freak as an athlete. The, the difference is like he's just not used to pass blocking. He's not used to kick sliding, kick stepping so that he can get in position. And he doesn't know how to use that athleticism other than in a forward sense, you know, like run blocking, pulling, getting out in space, but his power and the way he runs in open space is different. Like it's, I hate doing this, but it's just NFL. Like I, I look at him on film. I'm like, Oh, there's an NFL guard on a high school football field. What the hell's going on? Um, and that's kind of the athletic level and profile that he has. Now, that's not to say Birchmeyer doesn't, but the, you know, that's the the profile of either of those guys is is Javen has this unbelievable potential. I think Javen has the opportunity to play left tackle for Penn State eventually. Um, you know, and I hate to always go back to guys that are at Penn, you know, previously at Penn State, but I think of him in body type a little bit like um Ryan Bates where a little bit undersized probably plays guard in the NFL, but on the high school or on the, on the college football level, he is absolutely a tackle. And I would even give Javen the opportunity 
to play tackle for, you know, he's got enough length to play on the outside. He's just not six, six. So that's kind of where I see these guys. And Birchmeyer, if he doesn't play a tackle is going to be an elite interior player, but eventually at least according to the uh, scouting services, both of these guys eventually end up on the interior, whether it's late in their career or at the next level, if they do make it to that level. But as far as immediate contributions, I think Birchmeyer has the opportunity, if he can hang at tackle, to solve Penn State needing a fourth tackle. And of course, we don't know. We're recording early. We don't know if Chimdi Ono has has committed to Penn State on Wednesday uh, during uh, National Signing Day. Uh, he is a tackle prospect, so they would then bring in another tackle in this class. But he is very much a developmental project from a physical and technical standpoint. So it's not going to change much in terms of this question. But both those guys have the ability to play tackle. But eventually, uh, I guess everyone sees them as interior players, and they are to me live up to the billing so far they live up to the hype and the anticipation around them i'm excited to see what they can do i believe all of us have seen alex uh, birchmeyer listed as inside offensive line interior offensive lineman from the very beginning and he committed early so we were surprised when james franklin mentioned tackle so i think that's uh, exciting to hear that he would be capable uh, there also Let's go to Sean in Westchester, who says, Hey, T. Frank, I really want to feel good about the wide receivers. It seems like there is some young talent in the room with Clifford and Wallace and uh, Caden Saunders, Evans and Driver. How good do you feel about any of those young guys stepping up? Uh, not, <laughs> not great. <laughs> um, and, and, and this is, this is not fair because I haven't seen them. By the way, I, I'm stalling a little bit to pull up the uh, the Penn State depth, uh, the Penn State <laughs> offensive line chart because I couldn't remember Landon Tangwall during the last answer. So I wanted to make sure I have all the names in front of me. Um, Omari Evans played last season because, and this is me reading between the lines, he was the guy they felt could handle it. He was not the most ready. Now, he fit the position where they needed help because he's a little bit bigger than Caden Saunders. He's going to play on the outside. He's got that deep speed. But what he had was deep speed. That's what he had. So there wasn't exactly uh, a ringing endorsement of these guys' maturity level last season when a converted quarterback, who I saw in the spring game, make multiple you know, mental mistakes that are pretty basic of, hey, if it's man, you run your crossing route all the way across the field. If it's zone, you sit down between the zones. That's an early thing. It was a month after, two months after he'd been on the on the football field as a receiver, making mistakes like that. Fast forward, he's the guy starting over some of the other players. That's not a good sign to me. And that's kind of reading the tea leaves. And everyone says, hey, what about X, Y, and Z? And I, I know Caden Saunders had a high profile coming in. I was very excited about his route running skills and his abilities. But, you know, some guys takes a little bit longer for them to adjust to the college level. And he was a guy that did not play with immense physicality. And I always say you don't have to be big, but you have to play big if you're not like a physically dominant player. And I, I, I'm assuming from what I've seen, that didn't really translate. So does that happen this year? Does that click in for a guy like Caden Saunders? Does Amari Evans take a step from a mental perspective where now he gets it? Um, I thought Tyler Johnson was pretty raw in a lot of areas when he committed to Penn State. He's got all the talent. Yes. 
But as far as understanding a very difficult position, and I, it's not just speed. It's not just the ability, you know, how fast are you and can you catch it? Do you understand how to run routes? Do you understand leverage? Do you ever understand um, body control in the air? And some of those things, Tyler Johnson's phenomenal at, at body control in the air. Does he understand routes? Does he put in the time to, to understand the position? I don't know where these guys are on a maturity level, I guess, is the thing. So Anthony Ivy, kind of the same thing. A really great talent from a route running perspective. I see some early uh, signs of him being a great route runner, but like from a mental standpoint, is he still a freshman? Has he taken that next step? And this is with true with any guy that we didn't see last year that was a freshman. Um, but these guys, to me, came in with some question marks around, I'll call it again, the soft skills of the position. And have they taken that step this offseason? That's what I'm going to be looking for in terms of uh, the spring. One guy that I would expect to be a little bit better this year, and I do want to see more from, is Harrison Wallace. I think Trey Wallace has to take that step. And that is, that's going to be on his new position coach to get the most out of him. He's a very talented player. We saw the flashes of it, but at the same time, consistency for him and Keandre Lambert-Smith was an issue. Um, both are very talented. I think Trey Wallace could be great. So I have a little bit more information. So I feel a little bit more confident about that. But the young guys, I just don't know enough to move off my previous position of them. And I don't think that it's fair for me to keep that position. But I also don't know what else to do because I don't have any more information. All right. We'll keep our fingers crossed till we see more from them. Let's go to Michael in Bedford. He says Penn State added Khalil Ahmad to the staff from Syracuse who's supposed to have great connections in New Jersey. A couple days later, we get a commit from New Jersey. Coincidence? Um, so I, I I made this point on Monday that uh, don't discredit the fact that uh, Phil Troutwine's also from New Jersey. Now, he's he's I was corrected on air. He's from South Jersey, and I don't know enough about New Jersey, New Jersey to really differentiate between the two. Um, I do. I I get it. Let me put it to New York and Philly. I get the difference. South Jersey is a suburb of Philadelphia. North Jersey is a suburb of New York. That's essentially the difference. Yes. So like my brother lives in North Jersey, but I've never experienced North and South Jersey, if you know what I mean, to like really understand the differences and and the commonalities, by the way, of the region. But yes, it is absolutely a thing. Uh, that uh, they want. It's not just Jalen Matthews. They've gotten a lot of guys from New Jersey back on campus for junior days and stuff like that. And this is the stuff that my my coworkers at Blue White Illustrated are so good about is, is knowing, you know, some of this inside information about who's going to be on campus and who's going to be at these junior days. Pence just wrapped up their third junior day. So like that's all that information you can get over there. Um, but yes. Jersey is absolutely a part of the conversation. You don't bring in a guy who has strong ties to the area. If you don't mean to get back into that area, because I mean, look at the same thing with biscuit Higgins. Like they wanted to get more into Virginia. So they bring in a guy with deep ties to a part of Virginia that they don't have deep ties to. So these things are all intentional. And I think that uh, I think it's a great sign for Penn state because you've seen a lot of guys from New Jersey that for some reason uh, just drive right past State College on 80, go to Notre Dame and go to Michigan. And, you know, some really good football players ha- have gone out uh, to the Midwest instead of staying in the region. Penn State wants to change that. And I think that they're taking a great step there. I believe also, T. Frank, uh, James Franklin, in some of his requests for staffing up 
I've been critical of him along with a lot of other people. It feels sometimes like he's whining about these things. But here's the point to it. And we see this more and more where people are coming on board who aren't on the coaching staff on the field. Where I'm, What I'm alluding to is like Deion Barnes, who's the yep. Philadelphia guy. Yep. Well, he's been so highly regarded. It was almost just assumed he would be going elsewhere for a bigger job. Well, it seemed like they did what it took to keep him around specifically because he recruits Philadelphia so well. Yeah, and here's the other thing is this is something I was shocked to learn. I learn every I on the BWI Daily Edition, I learn as much as I as I uh, I, I hope I tell other people and, and teach other people. Penn State, even with their new additions, has half the staff as some southern schools, literally 50 percent of the recruiting staff of some of the other schools. So when you hear James Franklin talking about all of those uh, areas that aren't on the football field that make differences, this is an area where there's a competitive disadvantage in football. There is a, an imbalance because there aren't rules set in place for people to take advantage of these situations. So Penn state investing in this area and getting more people to talk to more players and having more connections to more regions. That's a huge benefit. All right, T. Frank, that's going to be it for quarter number three. Come back for quarter number four. We're going to talk about tight ends and name our winner. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hockensmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. Just a quick mention between segments. T. Frank committed to me he's going to finish strong here in quarter number four. So I just wanted to give you the heads up and hold his feet to the fire for that. But before I better. We get... <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about an article I wrote. I better know what I'm talking about. <laughs> all right. Let's first of all, though, take care of business. Let's get a winner for quarter number three and our Ask T. Frank segment. Who do you got, T. Frank? So I'm a man of the people, and I don't like to disappoint uh, anybody. We had a, a, just a great crop of questions. And you know, I tell you when we don't have great questions. Yes, you uh, do. Three strong questions today. But Silver is going to Sean and Westchester. I really like that conversation. Um, part of the reason he didn't win is because, like, there isn't an answer to the question. Um, because, you know, the, the people that know 
about the receiver position and do they have guys that they're excited about? They're, they're the Penn State coaching staff. I'll also point out that those guys went out and got two more receivers to let you know how much they're expecting a breakout from multiple young players. But we're going with Brian in Uniontown as our winner, the Javen and Birchmeyer conversation, because, you know, quietly this offseason, watching these two guys, getting more information, looking at how things have broken out now that we have the full picture of Penn State's offensive line situation, or at least, you know, as of recording, we have the most complete we're going to get. I, I think that that's going to have a huge impact on next year and pointing out, you know, Alex Birchmeyer and Javen Williams, they can solve problems up front for Penn State. All right, T. Frank, you say you're a man of the people. Are you going to back it up? Should we make yeah, that co-winners, Brian and Sean, are. each getting the prize? All right. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Poor Michael from Bedford. All right. Let's move he had a good, on. So he had a great <laughs> question. Like, his was probably the most insightful question. But, uh, you know, it was just a little bit left of, of T. Frank Center. And, like, that's one of those situations where here, here, here's the thing. Here, here's here's one, of the, one of those things that I don't do well. Some people in my position have no problem taking what other people say and presenting it as their own information. So when we're talking about Khalil Ahmed, I'm talking about what I've heard from Sean and Ryan and Nate. And so like when we're talking about football players and assessments of football players on the field and like I that's my bag. But if you're asking me about the support staff, I am highly uncomfortable when uh, when I'm just parroting what somebody else says without giving them proper credit. So it's not a T Frank question. That uh, question was brought to you by the, the great staff. <laughs> you, you, you do realize T Frank that after you and I get done recording, I talk to all my buddies about things you said and I pretend it's all my own. So I, just, just so you're aware. I, I understand. And that's where differences in personal integrity come in. <laughs> and like, whether I, whether I have toxic nobility and I think that I'm better than everybody else because of this, or because it's just a, like, it's a character trait or flaw. I don't know, but it's just where I've landed in my life. Look at T, <laughs> look at T Frank taking the high road. I just want to say something I've said many times before. Do not, do not underestimate the low road. All right, T Frank, let's get to <laughs> it. We, we We've got to talk tight ends. And and yeah. it's funny, quarterback, running back, now tight end, at, at least at the top of the pecking order, seems to be pretty set. We know yeah. what they have. There's talent there. Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren. I know Brenton Strange, I thought, had a wonderful season. But I'm not concerned about a drop-off at tight end when you've got Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren coming back. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting off season because Theo Johnson, I'm predicting to have a breakout season next year. I think he can be transcendent even above uh, what you've had in the past, maybe more of a Mike Gesicki level impact of big plays down the field. And I don't want to take away from what you got out of Pat Fryermuth because he was, I think a, a more complete and a better player at the position in college than Gesicki. But Theo Johnson's blocking was pretty good last year. Like at the end of the year, it's situational, I should say. It's situationally, he was be becoming a great blocker. A little bit more, especially in the bowl game, a little bit more in line, doing a little bit more there against tight end, uh, defensive ends and outside linebackers and really playing the Y position really well at 6'6", 260, reaching that full potential. He has the ability to be the feature of the offense. We talk about Dante Cephas. We talk about the receivers. This offense should run, at least in part, 
through Theo Johnson next year. I, th- I believe that much in his in his ceiling and where he's progressed as a football player. I, early on, everyone had these expectations of him to be this guy. Uh, and I'd, I'll be honest, I did not see it initially because I didn't think he ran great routes and I didn't think he was a you know fluid enough player, but he is he's developing into the complete package. It's the other position. It's it's where do you go from Brenton Strange? Because Tyler Warren, his season last year wasn't great. I was expecting a little bit more of a breakout from him. But I think looking back in the situation, what happened is at the beginning of the year, he was filling in for Theo Johnson at that Y position, the traditional inline tight end. And he doesn't have the longest arms in the world. He's kind of a tweener between the H back position, which is that quasi fullback tight end which is where Brenton Strange made his bread and where you've got Theo Johnson at that traditional tight end position. And Warren would kind of spell both of those guys. He could play either of those positions. So the question becomes, now that he doesn't have the option to play either of those positions, does he become a high-level H-back? He's a little bit big. He's a little bit linear for the H-back position, which is usually a little bit more of an athlete. And I'm not saying that he's not athletic, but I mean in in the sense of running routes, kind of a traditional, not kind of a hulking presence out there, which is what you have in Tyler Warren. But he can bring some unique things to that position. So I'm just curious to see if full-time in that position, does he play better? He played pretty well in the bowl game, filling in for Strange, who was playing kind of that swan song, going to play not the full... Uh, allotment of reps that he would as the starter. And then it becomes, do they have a third tight end? Is there a guy that's going to step up into that role so that they play three tight ends? Andrew Rappelier uh, is, is one of the more complete players that we've seen as a freshman. He's not going to be enrolling early, but he, I think he should be here in the spring. Um, and he could, he could challenge Tyler Warren for that starting H back position. He's a very talented football player. Um, they at very least could have a similar sort of like co-starter role or he could have a place on the roster. And then behind that, and and really, I shouldn't say behind, in that same conversation, Khalil Dinkins, who we saw last year uh, block better than I expected and a really good route runner, good deep speed, good up the seams. Um, What does he present in this conversation? So really, they have three good options at the H-back position and then the Y tight end, Who's behind Theo Johnson? Jerry Cross, redshirt freshman, was injured most of last year. I thought he was a little bit raw coming into college, although I should say right now there was no film on him whatsoever because COVID wiped out one of his years and he got injured during his, I think, his senior year in high school. So, like, I don't know what he is other than he's big and athletic. And then Mega Barnwell, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't expect to see him on the field. I also don't expect him long-term to be a tight end. So uh, they have a really good crop of tight ends, but how they finish in the pecking order, how they finish on the depth chart, I think there is a big wide-ranging amount of outcomes that can come out of this position. It's one of the positions I'm most excited to learn about uh, because, you know, like receiver, I have my reservations that I told you about. I have less reservations and more optimism about the tight end position that they have guys that can step in and uh, keep that level of play up. And maybe in some situations with Theo Johnson, if he can elevate his game, elevate the profile of the unit above what it was, which was pretty impressive last year. Tell you what, T. Frank, talk about anticipating things. I have my notes here with several questions. I think you hit every question already. You didn't even <laughs> give me the, give me the I, chance. I call that saying all the things. <laughs> 
when you have an when you have somebody sets you up for something and then you just blow right by all of the <laughs> hay bales and the emergency stops and the red lights and you just steamroll and you say all the things. So I apologize. Ah, uh, that's okay. You were you were on a roll. But I literally have in my notes: Will Barnwell ever take a snap at tight end? Yes, he will. Uh, because they're going to give him the option to do that. And they they talk about this all the time. And James Franklin talked about this particular thing during the signing day press conferences. They're never going to force a guy to play a position that they that he doesn't want to. And usually the guys see it right. Eventually they see, OK, I'm not going to get on the field because I'm not as good as these guys at the things I need to be as good at. And they then they bring up the Jesse Lucetta thing, playing linebacker. If they, you know, I don't know if that was disingenuous when he talked about him always seeing him as a hybrid player, or if that was just where it landed, but Jesse making the comp, making the switch to outside linebacker because he wanted to do that. Or some of the other guys, maybe Zariah Fisher, Nick Tarburton, other guys that have switched positions because uh, they, you know, eventually they see the writing on the wall. I do think whether it's in a mop-up duty or whatever, Mega Barnwell will play tight end. But long term, I just think he's so athletically talented for a guy that is six foot six and clearly needs to be two seventy-five. I mean, talk about tackle potential, defensive tackle potential. I've talked about this plenty of times here on the show. I think he could be great at those positions if he committed himself to those. Is that not the guy also who's just right for that position that we saw a bit where they bring in the extra lineman or the extra tight end. Yeah. So he could line up at the end of the line, be either the sixth offensive lineman or yeah. the extra tight end. You have a guy that's legitimately capable of catching a pass and not only catching a pass. Like this is the thing about mega Barnwell is he put in the time to be a good tight end. He can go out, he can catch, uh, you know, at the top of his frame, he can leap. So yeah, if you have a six offensive lineman that can catch the ball one handed, why the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> I like it, T. Frank. Let's make that happen. Tell me more about Andrew uh, Rappelier, the freshman. You've talked about him before. There's an excitement there in your voice that he it appears he could be something special. His junior season, I thought his route running was good, like some of the best I've seen from a tight end. And then he took it to a new level his senior season of physicality. Um, you know, it's hard not to compare him to Pat Fryermuth because of the kind of same area coming from the new England moving up there for football. Andrew is just good. He's just good. Like I, I see things in his game again, that are a lot of these guys they are coming in as former wide receivers that even at that level don't have great route running skills, but they're six, four, they're big. You can see them being 255 pounds in the future. He's all of those things. He's maybe not the biggest framed guy in the world. He's six, four, almost six, five. And that's hilarious coming from me that he's not the biggest framed guy in the world. And he's almost six, five, but he's not that he's not mega Barnwell. He's not Joey Schlaffer. Who's a full six, six. Uh, he's just got all of the skills necessary to contribute early because he's a good run blocker, good technique, his route running and separation skills, the way he does things. It's just, it, it's college ready. Everything he does is college ready. And then it's just about, about adjusting to the mentality and the grind of the position. But having uh, had, uh, had him on the show, he's a really mature kid who's focused and ready to go. Thanks T Frank. Lots of great information today, and thank you all for listening. Be sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub Set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.